You stand on the shore of the ocean watching the tide come in. You sense the call of the sea beckoning to take you further. You step forward little by little, not knowing what to expect, but expecting more. You keep going as the ocean calls, calls you to enter in to deeper waters. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Deeper Waters Podcast. I'm Nick Peters, your host, seeking to bring you the very best in Christian scholarship and apologetics, and today is no exception. And right now, it's February, the month of love, thanks to Valentine's Day. I'm all prepared for Valentine's Day over here. I've got uh, a couple of gifts I got with some Amazon credit. Uh, a friend of mine gave us some movie passes. I'm taking her to a movie that day, and I'm saving up enough to make sure we can go out to dinner. And so... I am all set. The thing is, are you are all set? In order to help us get all set, as it were, we are going to spend February, as much as we can, talking about love and romance. And for our first episode this month, we have a great guest returning to the show, Dr. Craig Keener. But this time, his wife, Medine Keener, is on here. Uh, normally, I try and go by doctor and such on here, but since there's two of you, do you care if I just say Mr. and Mrs. Keener or Craig or Medine? That's, that, that's fine. Okay. She, 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 she is a doctor also. But. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we're going to be actually talking about your all's love story in a book called Impossible Love that you two wrote together. Now, when I was dating Allie, I remember the challenges that we had because I lived in Charlotte and she lived in the far off city at the time of Atlanta. And so, you know, to go on a date with my future wife and my, my fiancé and such, I'd have, one of us would have to travel 250 miles or so, and how oh, that was so hard. Uh, fortunately, you all didn't have anything like that. You know, you, you just had international wars going on and starvation threats and <laughs> time cut up off where you couldn't even email anything like that. So you all had it easy, didn't you? Yeah, Greg. Let's let's start with something that some people might be surprised to hear about you. That you cover in the book. That's that for a time in your life, you were an atheist, weren't you? Yes, I'm. I'm sorry to say. Well, tell tell us about that, some. Well, you know, I I grew up in a in an unchurched home. my my family didn't really talk about religion. I mean, I, they weren't atheists per se. I really didn't know. We just didn't talk about it. Um, I I looked into a lot of philosophies, and you know, I'd be reading through the encyclopedia and coming up with different, you know, just experimenting with different things. And uh, my my mother, it turned out, was an agnostic. My dad never actually did did say he just was against institutional religion, but. I I thought, you know, naturalistic evolution explained everything. And my, my grandmother, uh, she, uh, I think when I was 11, she, she said, no, uh, you know, there has to be a first cause. 
because I said, you know, everything could have just happened. And, and, and I, so I postulated infinite regression. I said, no, it could have gone, gone back, you know, infinite time, which of course doesn't fit what we know about physics, but I was 11 years old. Mm. So in any case, um, but when I was about 13, I started reading Plato and, and I'd also been looking at the, you know, theories about infinity. Um, so when I'm reading Plato and start learning about the uh, his view of the immortality of the soul, it really got me thinking about life after death, my own existence as a conscious being. And I think God has given us evidence in nature if we have eyes to see it. He's also given us evidence in our own our own existence, our own consciousness. And anyway, I I. Plato's argument, though, didn't work because it especially was predicated on the pre-existence of the soul, and I couldn't see it. Didn't that didn't work for me? So it looked to me like I wanted to. I wanted to have immortality, but his argument didn't work. And uh, ultimately, what I had to do was I, I I came to the place where I recognized that the only way that there could be immortality for human beings. Was that was that if we if if there was some infinite being who could share eternity with us, but that being would have to be loving enough to care about us little mortal things, and that was like the best of all possible worlds. I I thought you know that's just fantasy; it can't possibly be. But just in case, <laughs> I started saying. If there's a God, if you're out there, please show me. And, you know, after a number of months of that, uh, now this is a few years later, but after a number of months of that, um, some people came to me on the street with the gospel, and I argued with them for 45 minutes. And finally, I, you know, they were explaining to me from the Bible how a person could have eternal life. And I was listening because obviously I was interested in that, but I thought, you know, the Bible, I'm, I'm an atheist, you know, this isn't going to work. Uh, just explain it to me from the Bible. I need, I need something other than the Bible because, you know, you have to presuppose Christianity or, or theism at least to, and, and I thought that, you know, of all religions, Christianity was the least likely to be true because, Back then, something like 80% of people in the U.S. claimed to be Christian, but you couldn't tell by how they lived that they believed in it. So why would I? But mm -hmm. just in case, I mean, I, I was an atheist officially, but like I gave Christianity maybe a 2% chance of being true. I didn't want to stake my eternity on being wrong. So I was listening to him, I was talking with him, but finally I said, do you guys have anything other than the Bible? They didn't. So I hit them with my question for the Bible. I didn't know a lot about the Bible, but I said, I mean, I, I knew that Christians believed in the Trinity and gargoyles, you know, that was pretty much, but I also, I also heard that they believed, you know, that the world was created uh, in seven day, in six days. And so I said, if, if there's a God, where did the dinosaur bones come from? Mm. And they looked at one another, and then they looked back at me and they said, uh, the devil put them there. And I was like, okay, you guys, forget it. I'm done. I'm leaving. 
no 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 disrespect intended but i'm i'm out of here and as i started walking off the the uh the lead uh person there th- th- these these guys were were fundamentalist baptist preachers uh from the local uh baptist bible college but uh i mean they gave me the gospel they they weren't experts in paleontology obviously or in apologetics they gave me the gospel i i walked off uh, one of them called out after me, oh, you're hardening your heart against God, and every time you do this, your heart will get harder and harder, and you will become incapable of repentance, and you will burn in hell forever. Um, obviously a model of friendship evangelism, right? So I'm walking home, but I'm so convicted by the Holy Spirit. I mean, I'd studied different religions. I talked to people about different different religions and philosophies, but this time there was something different. And as I got home to to my room, I was so overwhelmed with the presence of God that I was scared out of my mind because this, I mean, it wasn't like anything I'd studied or talked about. This was, you know, I'd wanted uh, empirical evidence, but instead God gave me the evidence of his presence. And it was so overwhelming that finally I had to make a decision God was there in the room with me, and I either was going to have to accept him or reject him. And there's no way when God is there in the room with you, you're going to blow him off, right? Not if you're in your right mind. So I said, God, I don't know how, I, I don't understand how Jesus dying and rising from the dead can can put me right with you. But if that's what you're saying, then I'll believe it. And it was really humbling to me because I'd been making fun of Christians, you know, but you know, like I'm thinking, oh no, they they were all right, and I'm going to have to go admit to them that I was wrong. But anyway, um, I said, God, I don't understand, but if that's what you're saying, I'll believe it. But I don't know how to be saved. I don't know how to be made right with you. So if you want to do that, you're going to have to do it for me. And all of a sudden, I felt something rushing through my body like I'd never felt before. And I jumped up, and now I was really scared. But I believed in God now. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Now, I take it, though, that it, it's a great thing it happened that way, but it's not the method of evangelism you'd really recommend for people now, is it? <laughs> no, especially not the part about the dinosaur bones. Yeah. Now, some people could look on that and say, well, you know, maybe with an experience like that, you were experiencing a delusion and such. And you know, maybe if that happened, all that happened at the time... They'd be right, but I take it your further studies have kind of cemented for you now this is no delusion. Oh, yeah. Yeah. In fact, I mean, I've continued to have that experience with God, mm-hmm. but also uh, I was, you know, very intellectually driven. I was planning to be an astrophysicist at the time. I mean, I hadn't gotten very far in it. I just was mm-hmm. you know, interested in that, but I, I was very... Uh, very intellectually focused. And so the questions that I had before I was converted, they weren't answered on the on the intellectual level. And those things don't just, you know, sit there dormant and do nothing. I, I, I had to I had to go ahead and explore them. And yeah, I've been exploring them for a few decades now. I remember when I read A Matter of Days that you got someone back saying that if you found that book earlier in your life, you probably would be able to become a Christian a lot earlier. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, I, 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 uh, yeah, that was one of my major objections to Christianity was the young earth creationist idea. And so discovering that that wasn't the only way to read the text was very helpful to me. But I discovered that after I became a Christian, because, you know, the, the presence of God was just so strong. It was like, okay, well, I'll have to get the answers to these other questions later, because this one is like too pressing right now. Mm-hmm. Now, Medine, let's uh, turn to you. You grew up in a different culture, the Congo in Africa. Am I, am I right about that? Yes. Yes. So what was it? I don't know about the religious makeup of the Congo there. Is it usually, are most people there Christians or what? what's it like there? Um, Congo was colonized by French people. So there is a, well, a high percentage of Catholics. Um, and, well, sometimes I think it's a mix of Catholicism and our own pagan religions. There is also a percentage of Protestants and the other religions, yeah, back home. And, and the, and the Protestantism sometimes has a mixture of paganism, too. Yeah. Sometimes. Just like in the U.S. <laughs> <laughs> Is it what we call, for instance, folk religion, where the religion comes in, and then they mix it up with the traditions that they already have? Yeah. Yeah, you can say that. Yes. Mm-hmm. But there, there are a lot of real Christians, too. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And what did you get your Ph.D. in? Oh, my studies were, um, I studied African-American after the Revolution War, no, the Civil War. So Mm -hmm. my PhD was on African-American women, Mm -hmm. how they survived uh, when they became freed Mm -hmm. uh, people and what was life like for them. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm I'm guessing getting a PhD like that probably isn't too common in the Congo. No. Um, I was actually, I did my, my, uh, studies, upper studies, graduate studies in France, but I was intrigued by what happened to the slaves after they left Africa, uh, especially knowing that there was, uh, you know, a ship that left my country, my Congo. So, um, when I got to France and they had what they call, um, American civilization courses Mm -hmm. and direction, I took that one. I wanted to find out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> no, you, but you grew up in a Christian home. It looks like in my book, right? I did. Yes. Okay. So Christianity was always a part of your life. And honestly, looking at your book and seeing the faith of your parents with everything they went through, I was kind of thinking, this mm-hmm. is kind of embarrassing for those of us over here in the West who have so much, and we have so much little faith in comparison. Ah. Uh. I don't know if it's so much little faith because our situations are different. Mm -hmm. Like for my family, um, there was no other hope. I mean, it was either going back to our traditional religions or uh, staking everything we had on Christ, Mm -hmm. that he Mm -hmm. is the rock and he's true and he takes care of us. And so my parents believed strongly and walked with him. Mm-hmm. And put thing before him. Yes. Mm-hmm. Now, Craig, getting back to you, something I found out that was very surprising to me, at least in your book, is that you are on your second marriage, right? Yes. Yeah. 
So, yeah, because I, I mean, we have this girl named Cassie in this book. I'm like, well, we know Cassie's not the one he ends up with. And yet, <laughs> you wind up married to her. So, what happened exactly? Yeah, that's a sad story. Um, of course, Cass is not her real name. I, I okay. would not to, I would not want to embarrass her. But anyway, um, yeah, I, I went to a Bible college. She was one of my classmates. We prayed together. We studied the Bible together. We went witnessing together. You know, you'd think this would be a perfect match. But um, after about three and a half years of marriage, she and her best friend's husband started an affair together. And eventually they ran off together. He, he left his wife and kids, and she left me. And, she, you know, each of them filed for divorce from their current spouses. So um, his wife granted him the divorce right away. I, I fought the divorce for the maximum number of years I could under state law, hoping to get her back. I really did love her very much. But um, she she wouldn't come back, and I tried to warn her. You know, the next you know you're running off with this guy. He's not faithful to his first wife. You think he's going to be faithful to you? Mm-hmm. And she wasn't faithful to her. But um, yeah, but she she had with the divorce, married him, and then uh, it didn't work out super well, from what I understand. Mm-hmm. And that has uh, left left people quite well with a whole lot of insecurity, didn't it? Oh, yeah, for sure. I'm like, Lord, I, I thought I did everything right going into this. I mean, I prayed, I fasted, I, you know, actually, we, we fasted together. Um, and and I, was, I was sure the Lord was in it. And sometimes we hear God right, and sometimes we don't, or sometimes the Lord has another purpose. I don't know, like like Hosea, whatever. I did learn the lesson of Hosea pretty well, but um, I was I was so broken after that. It was like, well, if I am going to marry again, uh, how would I ever be sure this time that it's the right the right person? Mm-hmm. And it, and it was fifteen years after that before I got married again. Now, let's, let's also be clear, though, that uh, fortunately, you know, the church was so, so excellent in how they handled someone who was divorced, right? <laughs> well, certain parts of the church, I mean, there were there were places where I received much mercy and grace. The, the African-American church just reached out to me so well. The church that my then-wife and I had been a part of, they were so supportive mm-hmm. of, of me. Um, but yeah, there were, I mean, like there was this one mission, this was years later where I was going to go on a short term mission with them. It was just short term. It was just a, a few months and I was turned down because I was divorced mm-hmm. and, you know, it didn't matter what the reason was, you know, it was like, well, we don't want somebody divorced. Mm-hmm. Um, there were, there were some evangelical schools that wouldn't let me teach there because I was divorced and, there were, you know, in, in the church that I ended up uh, being a part of while I was doing my PhD at Duke, uh, well, the first, the, the church that I was a part of for the first couple of years before I felt led to join an African-American church, that church, the, the pastor, uh, 
he wouldn't let me preach or or stuff like that. But but the main the main thing was, you know, he said, well, if your wife left you, there must have been something wrong with you. People oh, don't wow. people don't leave just for nothing. And so I said, okay, God, I humble myself beneath your hand. If it's your will, you'll exalt me in due time. I will just embrace all the pain and let it come. I'm in your hands. You see me. If it's your will, vindicate me and lift me up. Hmm. So I I stayed. And you know, over time, though, he saw my my devotion to the Lord. And, you know, he... He got more. He got very gracious um, and said, "You know, he he understood that I was really serving the Lord, and that this this was not something I had chosen." Is this also why you wound up writing a book on what the Bible has to say about divorce? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I mean, it had already been in my in my top ten list of books to write mm-hmm. because of what I'd seen some friends go through, um, like one guy. I knew he was he was divorced because his wife wasn't faithful. Neither of them had been saved. He was converted. He came to Bible college. He was told, well, there's no future for you in ministry with us because in that particular denomination at that time, they've changed. But at, at that time, it didn't matter what the grounds, it didn't matter whether you were a believer or not, when it happened, you were through. And, and, and somebody else I knew who also had, had gone uh, well, I don't know what the grounds were, but it was before her conversion, and she was she was told there's no future for you in ministry either. It was it was disheartening to see how they were treated. So, as a matter of caring about justice, that was you know it was in my top ten list uh, to write about. But when it became my issue, I figured I need to get this out of the way. I need to deal with this first before I I can feel you know, the right to go on and deal with anything else. Oh, that is just so awful for me to hear today. I, I, I can't imagine that. Oh. Medina, now... There was... There, okay, go oh, ahead. sorry. Go ahead. No, there was, there was one couple that actually, they weren't they weren't around when it happened. They they didn't see what happened, but they heard that it, that my wife and I weren't together, and they wrote to me a letter saying that they were breaking fellowship with me because of sin in my life, because they heard that I wasn't with my wife. And so, uh, obviously, I was in sin. They sent me a copy of a book that my then, you know, my former wife and I had read together before marriage, thinking, okay, this will help you learn how to be a good a good husband. It, it just was, I mean, not everybody by any means was that way. Most people weren't. But you can see why some people outside the church, they get these these views of Christians, because a lot of times people get hurt by people in the name of the Lord. Oh, gosh. So, Medine, how is it that you come into Craig's life here? How did I come into your life? Mm, Very beautifully. (laughs) I I came to the U.S. as an exchange student. Uh, so being at Duke University, um, I was doing research on my dissertation. I met this uh, handsome young man, but there was something very strange 
because I met him at InterVarsity Christian Fellowship, so Christian people, but he was sad. I didn't know Craig has experienced divorce, so um, but there was something in him that drew me uh, to him. So we became friends, and we corresponded when I went back and continued to correspond until the friendship changed. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I would say when I heard how I... You came into Craig's office. He said, "Very beautiful." He also like, "That is a guy's answer, right there." <laughs> <laughs> that is also an exaggeration. <laughs> no, <laughs> I, I knew she was beautiful the first time I saw her. I was yeah. keeping a journal back then, I, and I talk about that. But anyway, yeah, but was it the same way for you, Medine, or were you just smitten with him immediately, or what? <laughs> well, I did like his eyes. Okay, I have to I have to make a confession, okay? So being in Congo, <laughs> growing in growing up in Congo, I didn't have access to a lot of books. So and we didn't have money to go to a library because you had to pay to have access to a library. And I love to read. I I, I devoured my dad's books on uh, uh, Hudson Taylor and Charles Studd, and but I didn't have a lot. So sometimes, you know, as a teenager, my friends would give me these romance novels, and I was I I would look at them and say, "Wow!" I was fascinated by blue eyes. So. I started to think and, you know, kind of formulate a prayer that God will create an African man from my tribe with blue eyes. Uh, <laughs> but God did create Craig with blue eyes. So, yes, <laughs> that's what drew me to start. No, no, did God make my eyes blue for you or did he? Did he turn the evil of those romance <laughs> novels for good? Anyway, what I don't know. That's a theological question. <laughs> yeah. I don't have any answer. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I can't but think about how when I first encountered my wife. See, my story is I got off work that day, and I was going back to the seminary, and Gary Habermas was teaching. Wow. Nice. He was teaching a week-long module, and I'd met him before, and he was helping me with issues of doubt. And this is something you'll probably be like to, Craig. Not doubt about Christianity, but self-doubt mm-hmm. and such. And so we had, we'd we been emailing before, but, and I knew he was stopping in. So I'll stop and see him. And so I stop and see him in the lobby for a while before class. And he says, hey, Nick, you know who Mike Lacona is? Like, yeah, I know who he is. I've read that book you two wrote together. And he was here for a debate last year, maybe the year before with Bart Ehrman, I know who he is. But did you know he has a daughter? <laughs> no. Cool. No, this is news to me. It's very interesting. And yes, I was looking for pictures online immediately as soon as he walked away. <laughs> but, uh, but he said, yeah, we were talking about her. And we found that she, and we were talking about how she has Asperger's. And Frank Turek was back where he said, but where Nick Peters has Asperger's. And so we started talking to him. And he said, hey, my class is starting. You want to come join me for it some?" And I said, sure, I'll join you for a little bit. Because, I mean, I had to get home, but I thought, I'll stay from some. And when the break came in class, I went up to him afterwards and wanted some more information about her. I wanted to get her email and such. And he said, and Nick, you know what she really wants? A boyfriend. A boyfriend. That's exactly what she wants. Well, I had gone down this route of internet romance before, and it hadn't worked well. I did not want to go down that route again. But I was happy with emailing her, speaking to her some, getting her in touch with some older women I knew who could help her out with issues and things like that. And 
Well, she wanted to get together with her old boyfriend. And, uh, okay, that's fine with me. I'll help her be that girl she wants to be and such. And so I, she looked at my picture and said, Toter nerd, this is not someone I want. <laughs> she had a list of criteria. I won't go into them all, but I'll say, I failed all five of them. And the last oh, one she had on the list was she would never date or marry an apologist. So I was a strike from the start. So we both were going to say, okay, we know where we stand. We're friends. That's it. We're not doing anything more. Yep, that was it. We were married within a year. Uh, <laughs> friends, friends is the ideal place to start from. But hey, if Gary Habermas tells you something, you better yeah. listen to him. Yeah. Um, yeah, something I've told her when we talked about it several times is after we got engaged, we'd call each other on the phone every night and we'd stay up to like midnight or so, maybe even sometimes till 1 a.m., just talking on my phone. I said, honey, I don't remember a single word we said in those conversations. <laughs> Not a thing. But we talked and talked and talked. And as it is, we are working on year number nine right now. What year are you, what year are you all on? We, we got married March 13th, 2002. Mm. So the real question is, what year is it now? I, mm. I can't keep track of that because it changes so often. It's going to be year 17 for you. Okay. <laughs> Thanks. You're good with math. Thanks. So, so uh, Craig, you're kind of smitten with her immediately and such. So, geez, why didn't you just go out with her right then and there immediately? Yes. Well, that we, <laughs> well, first of all. I think Craig I mean, is trying to get a little bit insecure again right now. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> First of all, we were we were on our way to an university Bible study together, and <laughs> this was actually our graduate group. And you know, from the from the graduate group, people would share from their own areas of expertise. So, like the um, the chemist was sharing about uh, uh, well, actually, the chemist in the in the uh, uh, by what was she biochemist? They were sh they were dealing with evolution. Uh, and actually, both of them were young Earth creationists, and the rest of us were old Earth, and it was kind of funny. But anyway, uh, there was uh, another biologist there, a pathologist, and he was, uh, well, actually, he shared about some things in physics and Buddhism at that time, uh, working with Frank Tipler's stuff. We're, we're all sharing from areas of either our expertise or special interest. Well, I'm in biblical studies, you know, so there's lots I could share from. But I wanted to share from, because we were very interdenominational, I wanted to share something beautiful from my own experience uh, that was big in my own background. Uh, so I was, I w that night I was sharing about the gift of speaking in tongues. <laughs> <laughs> and, and what had happened to me like two days after my conversion you know, when I, when I first experienced the Holy Spirit, I was so overwhelmed, you know, I jumped up really scared. But a couple of days later, a pastor prayed with me to accept Christ. Well, this time I experienced the same feeling. I know this doesn't happen to everybody, but it was God's grace to somebody who had just come out of atheism. But anyway, and maybe I'm sure this doesn't happen to all atheists either. But anyway, I, I, I experienced the same thing, this overwhelming presence of God, and there was no way I could praise him enough. 
unless he gave me the words to do it. And he knows lots of languages, so it started coming out in another language. I, I'd only been a Christian two days. I didn't know that the Bible had a name for this, you know, but it was beautiful experience. It's continued in my life. It helps balance me out so I'm not just totally cerebral. Um, you know, it, anyway. So I was sharing about this, and Medine was pushing back because she had a very different uh, experience where some people were trying to force her to speak in tongues to be spiritual. And I'm just being truthful. And so she was <laughs> she was pushing back, and I was like, oh, she's against speaking in tongues. Well, she may be beautiful, but, you know, we're not going to be able to pray together properly or anything. So, <laughs> Yeah. But, Madine, what are you thinking now, hearing all of it? Well, I don't know. It's it's kind of funny because when I look back, I'm like, there was no reason to be afraid. He was expressing himself, which was right, and I was expressing myself too. But mm. he came out, you know, he was like, oh, I don't know who this girl is. And I was like, <laughs> wow, he's too much into that. What Craig didn't know was that in my own family, I have three siblings who speak in tongues. And so, because he didn't have that background information, he was afraid that I was going, I was getting him, but no, I didn't. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm kind of wondering if you'd be saying, you were saying, Greg, I'd be happy to pray with you whatever language you want to, as long as we can just pray together. <laughs> exactly. But looking back too, it's, it's great because, you know, I noticed Greg. He was the one who was speaking and then, as, you know, and he, he was so gracious. He wanted to make peace. So he gave me a T-shirt and so on. He was very kind to me. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's how he started to get me to become his friend. Oh. <laughs> well, I was afraid I defended her, but, but actually the, the offense only went one direction. She, yep. she just defended me. Because yeah. <laughs> I, I thought, you know, I was so insecure that I thought she didn't like me. And anyway... But it was a free South Africa T-shirt because yep. back then there was still apartheid, and exactly. so there were a number of us who were protesting apartheid from, of course, a safe distance. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. Now, so Greg, uh, what or Medine, whichever one wants to answer, what happens mm-hmm. then? How come you are split up, as it were, and each go your own way? Well. She was she was just an exchange student at Duke. I was I was doing my PhD there. She was yeah. doing her PhD at University of Paris Seven, so she needed to go back to Congo or back to France after eight months. And I, you know, I I liked her, but I did I did call her one time. I thought, okay, well maybe <laughs> maybe. maybe and I and I actually I even dropped a hint one time. I said I think I may start dating, and and she said that's okay, brother. And she laughed and she walked off. She, well, I didn't say you will start dating me. Yeah, but then, <laughs> so I so one time I called her, you know, and just tried to make conversation, and and she was like, uh, "Well, nice to talk to you, brother. I got to get back to my homework." And I thought she is not interested in me at all, and there's no point. <laughs> There's a funny story I think in book where you talk about where you're talking with a friend of yours who says this is the way that African American women in our culture speak. They act like they're not interested if they are interested. And you say, okay, well that's good to know, but how can you tell? What do they do if they are interested? So, 
you see, it is a problem, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, in, not African American women, but African women. Yeah, from yeah. Nigeria. <laughs> okay, but it was—I mean, it's the same thing, even in Congo. I think the the cultures have changed, but at that time, I mean, it was very hard to know if a girl likes you or not, because um, we expected the men to be forward, and mm. you wait. So it was very hard to know what's going on in the person's heart, the, the young lady's heart. And in my context at Duke, you know, if you're too forward, it's called sexual harassment. So, <laughs> so you know, it was like, uh, if I, I called her, she didn't respond. I better just back off. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I mean, you know, honestly, I was saying there and saying it, it I mean, you're talking about how it's very hard. You know, back then, it was very hard to know if a girl is interested or not. I'm like, you mean that's changed since then? <laughs> um, the only way I would have known I was interested in me is that well, she was uh, somewhat subtle about her feelings and such for me, such as uh, going on my Facebook page and broadcasting it as loud as she could how much she, re- she felt about me and such so I-, I managed to pick up the hint at that point, so you know I think she could be interested in me Oh, nice <laughs> Nadine, why didn't you do that? I didn't have any Facebook. Oh, that's right. We didn't have Facebook back then. <laughs> there was no email yeah. for a long time. This was this was nineteen eighty seven to eighty eight that she was she was a Duke. So and yeah. So back, so back in the dark ages, pretty much, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. So so um, Craig, you gotta move on from there, and you're out. Experiencing ministry, and actually, you come in contact a lot with the with the African American community here, and you decide this time that when you get married, that is the kind of woman you want to marry, isn't it? Oh yeah, I mean, already in high school, some of my closest friends were African American, especially once I became a Christian. Not just then, but especially once I became a Christian, because you know I'd be out witnessing and. I found the African American community was much more respectful towards faith in general than I found in the in the white community. So you know, I got beat up less there and stuff like that. So uh, I mean, every time I've been beaten has been by a white person. But that that maybe just be my I'm sure that's just my personal experience. But anyway, um, but when I uh, when I was at at Duke, when I was in, actually when I first moved to Durham, um, there was as soon as I moved there, I, I checked into a, a cheap uh, motel there because I didn't have, uh, well, I only had enough money for a few days in the in the motel, and then I was going to be on the street. So, I because I, my former wife had taken all the money when she left, except for the $10 in my pocket. So, I, I got to, to, uh, to Durham, and there was a, the right Right beside the hotel, it was African American. It was it was a housing project. It was a poor African American community economically, but uh, there was an African American family. It was a grandmother raising her grandchildren by herself, who kind of adopted me into their family. Uh, and then, you know, I I found a I, I was able to move into that community and became part of that community. Well, they took me to church with them, and my heart was still so deeply broken and wounded. Um, the divorce hadn't gone through. I was I was fighting it, but, you know, I had the pain of abandonment, and 
they took me to their church, and their church really knew how to deal with pain. And uh, a few years after that, a couple years after that, I ended up joining an African-American Baptist church, and the pastor brought me on as an associate minister. I just finished my PhD then, uh-huh. and, uh, and so I was part of the black church there. I ended up teaching in an African-American seminary, uh, and part of the, uh, I did campus ministry at the African-American University there, and then uh, lived in the African-American community. And then when I moved to Philadelphia for 15 years, I, I was um, on staff with an African-American church there, and like half my students were African-American. It just be- it became so much a part of me. I just loved that. Now, I was assuming that my wife would be African-American. I, I, I thought African, you know, the culture, the cultures are just too far apart, and and it would take it would be too too difficult to make the adjustment. Whereas with African American community, that was my home culturally by that point. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I'm sitting here thinking that here you were just looking for a wonderful African American woman you could marry in parsing. Ah, uh, geez, you know, I could have gone back one, but dang, if only she could accept me speaking in tongues, we'd be all good, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, it's, well, I did have blue eyes, and even though Medina is not African American, she's loved. Mm. Thank you. <laughs> now, now, then you had to go back to the Congo then because of your, you know, I'm guessing it's like your visa had expired and things like that and such. And it was time yeah. to go back, and mm-hmm. you went back. And let's face it, many of us who are Americans, we don't really seem to know about what's going on in the rest of the world. And there was a war going on in the Congo, wasn't there? Yes. Yeah. Uh, when I was done, actually, um, Craig told me, he said, well, Medin, you can come and teach here. At that time, um, I really liked Craig. Mm-hmm. And I did not see that I can come and live in the same town with Craig and see Craig get married to someone else. That was just too much for me. Mm-hmm. So I decided to go back home. Because my visa has expired. I had a a student visa and it had expired. I believe that um, some friends told me, but you can stay, you can do something else. But I believed in the fact that we have to be honest with God and God knows our lives. They were caring for me because there was a war going on back home. Um, my, My family was there, but I wanted to go home to be part of what not the the war part, but to be with my family, mm-hmm. and also I didn't want to be an underground person. I wanted to be free. I wanted to be honest with God. So I decided to go back home, and yes, I went back home. The war has stopped for a while um, when I got there, but I could see the impact of what the first war did. I mean, the distrust between tribes, um, the houses that were broken, and People's lives were broken. I could see all of that. But I was happy to be with my family and be back home. Yeah. Mm. But you, you still kept in touch with Craig with I did. letters and things like that and such. Now, now Craig, we've got something funny here, but you actually made what I think could say was one of the biggest mistakes of your life. <laughs> and this is one that's probably really embarrassing for a scholar to make, especially 
that you did not read the entirety of a letter that she sent. <laughs> I, yes, I, you know, context is so important, but I did not read the whole letter. <laughs> I, I got this letter from her and she was, she said at the beginning of the letter that she was going to share her feelings. And I, and I thought, oh, I can see where this is going. <laughs> I skipped to the end of the letter and, and she had just, she was telling me that, you know, well, she was sharing her feelings of love for me. And so I thought, no, no, I don't want her to be hurt. So I need to, I need to stop this before it goes any further. So I, I mean, I had fond feelings for her, but I just didn't think I, you know, my conviction was I need to wait for a woman who shares my same passion for ministry, my same calling for ministry, is ready to make the same sacrifices I'm willing to make or I'm, I'm committed to make <clears throat> to, to get God's word out to people. And so I, uh, I wrote her back and said, look, if you're, if you're not called to ministry, then this, this really wouldn't work. I, but if you, have, if you think I'm wrong, about this. I mean, if you're called to ministry or something, let me know. Well, in the middle of the letter, she had said, um, I, I had read the part of the letter where she said she wasn't called to ministry, but I hadn't read the part of the letter where she said that she was on the leadership team of a church that she helped plant. She was doing open air evangelism. Uh, she was doing door to door evangelism in Muslim neighborhoods. And so, uh, I mean, she was doing ministry, but she, when she said she wasn't called to ministry, she was defining it much more narrowly than I thought the Bible would have defined it. She was defining it, you know, in terms of being a pastor or a missionary, mm-hmm. and and I was defining it a lot more broadly than that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Medine, you uh, you bear no fault in this one. Okay, it, it's entirely his fault for not reading the letter here. So. You, you can you can blame him for that one. Yeah, I can. I can. <laughs> it was very hard for me to mm. share, to put my feelings out there. Mm. I'm an African woman, mm. so that mm. was uh, it. Took a lot, and his response just put like cold water in me. I was like, mm. "No, I better go home. This is not a good idea." <laughs> so you went home, and hey, all is where you and your family were leading leading a wonderful, happy life there together, weren't you? <laughs> well, yes, we did. Uh, in the midst of, you know, difficulties, mm-hmm. um, I mean, all the, all the consequences that come with war, sickness, uh, sometimes not enough food to eat, not, not enough clean water, lack of electricity and things like that. But despite all of that, I was so happy to be with my family because when the war started, I was not at home and I was always afraid that I would not see them. What if something has happened to them? What if some one of them died? So the joy was to be with the family and be with everyone there. Now, for those of us who don't know, which includes me, what exactly was this war going on all about? Well, well how would I explain that? It was an economic situation. It was a tribal situation. It was a political. colonial power. Yeah, political, mm-hmm. colonial power trying to 
control a country's leadership. So there was a lot of things going on. But when I went home, it turned into a tribal kind of war, uh, the North against the South. Uh, when it escalated again, that's how it looked like. In, in the U.S., we, we call that North versus South a civil war. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Speak French. If I start speaking French, you'll be in trouble. <laughs> well, if I start speaking in tongues, you'll be in trouble. That's true. <laughs> well, well, Craig, some of us here in the South refer to it as the war of northern aggression here. But... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, um, you're there, and uh, it, it's the kind of war that we're going on, but you could be, there aren't really good guys and bad guys in this war. You could be obliterated by both sides, couldn't you? Yes. I remember <clears throat> while I was there, I got a job with an um, an international organization. I was translating for uh, someone who came from an English-speaking country, an African-English-speaking country. And the person who was in charge was from a tribe that went that was into war in in war with my tribe and they didn't know what tribe i was from because they didn't know my name my name could be used in the south or in the north and in the end at the end of that assignment um they learned that i was from the wrong tribe thank god it was ending because I didn't know if I could be safe, you know, going in uh, the other area, the other part of town where I was not welcome. So, mm-hmm. yeah, there were good guys and bad guys. Yeah, mm-hmm. we had to be careful. Yeah. Uh, and also, you two had something else interesting going on. And this is something I did express some concern about when I reviewed your book. And Craig, I mean, yeah, I can agree with you on this one pretty much that. There were a lot of prophecies and such you are each were getting from your churches and such. And uh, Greg, I think you did very clearly say, yeah, I don't expect this is going to happen with everyone out there. No, no, no. <laughs> no, that's no. I I believe in the gift of prophecy, but all prophecy has to be tested. So even though the book highlights some people who are extraordinarily accurate with the prophecies, most of them in Congo. Uh, there were like six people who told me that they felt it was God's will for them to marry me. And, you know, there was somebody where I felt like this was God's will for me to marry her. So, I mean, when when you're that close to something, it can be so easy to be too subjective. And, um, I mean, there are other things where I seem to hear God fairly clearly, but when it's too close to to myself, my emotions are involved— I don't. I don't even trust myself. That was one reason why I wanted to be absolutely sure before I fell in love, and I was going to try to restrain my heart until I, until I knew this this was going to be the right person, or a right person. Mm-hmm. Now, Dean, tell us a little bit though about what kinds of things you were going through in the Congo as you and your family were trying to get somewhere safe. Um. Well. Let me tell you, I am going to put an, a parenthesis there so that people will understand better when I talk about how, what happens when someone has a child. When I got to Congo, uh, I waited on Craig. I was like, ah, this is not going to work. So I got married. I got married uh, just because in my culture, 
I was, what, past 25. I was really an old maid and people were like, I'm cursed. Something is wrong with me. Oh, it's too much intellect. Uh, a lot of studies and things like that. But I think I did not seek the Lord really with all my heart for that. And so it didn't turn out well. When war came for the second time, I was abandoned, pregnant. And so I found myself with uh, a child I got, I, I delivered at my home. Yes. Make sure to also add that the guy, it turned out that the guy was a bigamist. He yes. had, he had another wife. He had another wife. He was sleeping with somebody who wasn't His either wife, of his wives. Yes. And, and he also strangled Medine and you know, a few other things like that. Yes. But people can discover that in the, in the story. Um, so what was it like to be during war? What, what did we experience? Um, wow. Humanly speaking, emotionally, it was very difficult. Every time I had a child, I had a, um, a child who was a toddler. And so my first idea was to, how can I protect a child this age for whom speaking was just normal? People would say, Medin, shut him up. I say, I can't shut him up. And when they, when they were shooting and bombing and we're supposed to be in hiding, he found that funny and he would just go, yay, and, and so on. I mean, it was a blessing and a curse in the sense that he was not that traumatized, but he was putting the lives of others in danger. So I had that. Uh, we were sick a lot. We didn't have any medication. There was no market. There was no pharmacy. There was nowhere to go. And the food we ate uh, the water we drank, uh, everything was polluted. Was I mean, in, in, in the big rivers, you see uh, dead bodies of you know animals or human beings and filth. And the only thing we we will say is close your eyes and let that pass. And hopefully, the water that you will have, the next that is coming, will be healthy for you. So we got sick a lot, and um, there was a lot of fear. So that caused. Um, stress and heart problems. We didn't have any hygienic means or things to help us. A lot of people had hemorrhoids. Um, we walked a lot, so our mm -hmm. feet were whew, a bloody mess mm -hmm. <laughs> and, and swollen. So yes, no, no, no shoes. We didn't have shoes. Yes, we have flip flops. They had yeah. little, lot of holes, and we tried to patch them. But yes, so life was hard. And whenever you saw our soldiers coming around, it didn't matter which side they were on. Each time it was well, like, is this going to be it? Yes. We were afraid because even the soldiers, our own soldiers, they came. For example, before we left our home, the soldiers came at night and they were looking for money. And they even shot in the air to scare us. Those were supposed to be the soldiers on our side to protect us. So even when I came to the U.S., at first, when I would see a, a policeman, I was afraid of them because mm -hmm. of what happened in Congo. Yeah. So we didn't know who to trust. Mm -hmm. and, and on July 4th with the fireworks, you oh, should really see it. Oh, yes. Mm -hmm. <laughs> My first July 4th, I was so panicked. There's a crack, they're shooting, what's happening? And he said, no, 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 it's okay. It's just a fire, fireworks. So I don't go to the fireworks. Mm. Better to leave that alone. <laughs> now, let's talk about something very positive in that experience that really impressed me going through your book. 
your parents because mm-hmm. they were such people of solid faith in all of us, mm-hmm. no matter what went on, even when they got, they remembered with God about it, they were saying, God, I'm sorry, we, we weren't trusting you fully, and all of a sudden, I was like, dang, I remember over much less things going on here. Yeah. Yes. Um, when people say that God is in the midst of broken lives and poverty and so on, it's true. God was there. Um, and I thank God for my parents because they led us in prayer, even in times when I, I, I rebelled. I was like, no, this is enough. This is too much. Uh, every evening, my father would say, okay, let's pray. And we will come to the Lord. Even when he felt like he, he was not helping, he was not doing anything, he was sick. In the evening, we will all come together and bring our situation to the Lord and ask him for help. So he was really a strong um, man of faith. My mom was a strong woman of faith. And I think there were times where their faith carried us um, Mm. through all the difficult things that we went. Mm. Yeah. And Craig, you got to meet them, I understand. such. What did you yes. think when you got to meet her parents eventually? They were they were just like the way Medina had described him. Mm-hmm. Uh, Papa Jacques was just he was full of joy, yeah. even though even though he was disabled, um, and and yeah they they prayed for us they they prayed blessing for us and mm-hmm. Papa Jacques was so um, so excited I think when when we shared with him that. You know, I, I was I was sharing his testimony in my classes, and we were going to write this book, mm. which is dedicated to to their memory. They've both passed away since then, but um, when when uh, when their home was destroyed, and at the end of the war, they found out, and Papa Jacques, you know, that was his life savings had been invested in the home. They don't have life insurance. They yeah. don't have health insurance. Mm. They don't have um, things like that. So what you invest in, what you save for is your, your home. And it was destroyed. The stuff in it was destroyed. And he already was disabled. And when they brought him back and he saw the house, they were afraid of what might happen. They were afraid he might have a heart attack or a stroke. And um, instead, he looked at it for a couple of minutes and then he lifted the hand that he could lift and he said, let's thank God. Yes. He's kept us all alive. Yes. And that's the kind of man that he was. And I uh, told him that I share that with my classes often. And, and that his, his faithfulness to God is a testimony, not just in Congo, but here in the West as well. Yeah. I was amazed. Oh, sorry. It, it is really humbling, isn't it, Craig, to think about the things we complain about in comparison. <laughs> okay, what were you saying, Medine? Oh, um, I was just going to say that it was amazing to see my father could see you. 
And I remember during war, when we got to the last village, we all took turns to stay with him. He couldn't go to church. And so one of us will stay and the person will cook and get things ready. We had a family member who will always come on Sunday because Sunday was a day we wanted to make like a special day where we'll, we'll put some salt because we didn't have enough salt or we will, you know, buy some fish or something if we had money. And I don't know how he knew, but that person used to come every Sunday. And that day was my day to cook the food and take care of him. And as I was going, doing my chores, I guess he noticed I was not singing. I don't know how he knew, but I was very upset. I was, I decided in my heart without talking to my dad that this time this person is not going to get our food. We don't have enough food. And this person didn't experience war. They, they have a, a, a field where they can go get their food. So I was ready to tell her, uh, please, uh, sit over there while we eat. And I came into the room to check on my father and he said, Medin, stay for a minute. And he looked at me, really looked at me, and he said, Medin, it's only food. Give. He saw what was going inside my heart without even me telling him. And I felt so ashamed because I was like, here is someone who is sick. He is the one who is supposed to complain. And he's there thinking about people and how to love people, how to show God's love to the people while I am here just, you know, thinking about selfishly how I can keep some of the food from someone who who is here, even if they have more than we do. So anyway, that's the kind of person he was. Anyway, I'd like to remind everyone that you're listening to Deeper Waters Podcast. we got Craig and Medine Keener on here, but if you're listening next week, where I'm still working on that one, but we are, we plan to keep a love and romance aspect and such. But um, let's uh, get back to this Dorbin. So how did you two then come to reconnect? Um, <clears throat> the last letter I got from her before, basically before they had to flee into the forest. Um, <clears throat> I, you know, I was always delighted to get a letter from Medine. I was very fond of her, of course, as a sister in Christ and as a friend. Um, and, she by by this point though I'd heard that her marriage had had fallen through and I was so distressed for her because I you know we both cared about each other so we both had been praying for each other that God would give you know, she'd been praying for me for a good wife I'd been praying for her that God would give her a good husband but this time the news was even worse than the last time because this time she said that her Cousin had just been shot dead. Uh, he he died in the streets, groaning and moaning. People were afraid to come out and help him. He'd been shot by some of the mercenaries there working for the government. Um, and then her her brother had nearly been shot dead. Her her father had nearly been shot dead. She said the the uh, soldiers, from what we've heard, they they've been told to kill the. Um, the educated people first. And so she uh, said, I don't know if I'm going to live or die, so please pray for me. And that was the last thing I heard for the next 18 months. And so I was frantically praying for her safety and 
asking my friends and my students, my colleagues to pray for this uh, Congolese friend of mine, for her safety. Mm. And as I was, you know, a few days after that, I just felt like the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, my child, I know how much you care for her. And I know that you did what you thought was right. Because at this point, I'm thinking, well, if I'd married her, she wouldn't be going through this. But I felt like the Lord said, I know you, you did what you felt was right. And I'll do what's best for her and what's best for you. And that gave me assurance. And then a few days later, I felt like he said that she and I would minister together someday. And she'd always told me if I ever visit her country, she'd translate for me. So I assumed that's what that meant. And uh, that gave me hope that she was going to survive the war. But, you know, it was 18 months before I heard. And, and meanwhile, she was, you know, they were fleeing from one place to another. Um, she would walk five miles on a typical day through snake-infested swamps and fields of army ants, having to pick the ants off her body afterwards just to get food for the family. Um, they were they were living pretty much in cassava, bland cassava, and sometimes ferns, which she said did not taste very good. Sometimes rats, uh, <laughs> yes, uh, which I guess tasted better than the ferns, oh, right? Yeah. Much yes. better than the ferns. <laughs> so, yeah, let, let, let's give a straight people. We're talking about a lady in our family having to travel and eat rats and ferns. Oh you, yeah. You think about that the next time you're complaining about suffering, okay? <laughs> <laughs> you can tell them rat tastes like chicken. It's really good. <laughs> yeah, so so are, are we are we going to expect you to be open up rat filet sometime over here, Ben? And... <laughs> <laughs> she's she she does remarkable cuisine, but during during the war, I guess the best flavoring they had were were some yeah. insects yeah. that accidentally got into the cassava. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh. and, and Craig, this whole time also, you were sending her resources and such to help out, like money and things like that, right? Uh, not not when we weren't in touch. When you know, during those eighteen months, I was sending letters, but I wasn't getting a response because, of course, they weren't getting to her. Yeah. Um, her town had been burned to the ground a few days after she sent the letter to me. So, uh, and she sent it by means of a friend or a relative who was leaving the country. So, uh, it wasn't even mailed from Congo. Mm-hmm. Uh, so. Basically, all I could do was pray. Uh, the, I did think of going to Congo to look for her, but I was a, a Rwandan refugee friend said, you know, you're just going to get killed. Mm-hmm. You, your French isn't very good, and you're, you know, you don't know the local languages. Yeah. Uh, you know, that, I, I say at that point, though, also, that that's kind of a man's heart. Right there, it's kind of like, you know, if it comes to the lady we love, we are willing to take on mo- most any adventure out there, if that's what it takes. Well, I'm glad he didn't die. Yeah, <laughs> I'm sure you are. <laughs> but eventually you got out, and let's just say uh, you did get that divorce from your first husband, Medine. So, yes. so how did yes. you two get reunited? Oh, wow. Would you like to tell that? Um, well, there's a bunch of different parts of the story. But, yes. Um, 
one day I got this letter from her, uh, 18 months after the, the last letter I'd gotten from her. I saw it was from Congo. I tore it open. Uh, there, there's still witnesses who can attest to me dancing in the hallway <laughs> after I got this letter. But, Imagine that, Dr. Kinner dancing. Uh, <laughs> uh, dancing. I want a YouTube video of this, okay? Uh, <laughs> I have witnesses. I don't have a video. Well, they didn't have those back then. Anyway. Oh, darn, uh, if only. Well, it, was, it was 2001. They're probably somebody had it. But anyway, I, I, was, um, I tore open the letter. And it began, I'm alive. I, Medin Musunga, am alive. And, and she'd gotten out of the, out of the forest. Uh, to get my address was even hard for her because, you know, her address book was in the house that was burned. So she'd lost everything. Mm-hmm. She'd kept her passport during the war, but the, when the new government came to power, they invalidated all the former government's passports. So mm-hmm. she didn't even have a valid passport. And anyway, so we started corresponding again. And I discovered email. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but, but see, I could do it from a computer. She had to go to a cyber cafe. Where people read your emails, actually, you pay money, and then the people who get the email, they read your email. Now, Mm -hmm. I was lucky because my emails were in English. Mm -hmm. They got gossip about what was going (laughs) on in my life. So they asked me, oh, who's that? I said, well, I have someone uh, in the U.S. Oh, that's your friend. That's your friend who sent you an email. That's, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Someday we'll have to go visit that. Well, they probably won't work. I don't, probably. (laughs) (laughs) But anyway, so she she and I started corresponding, and I I would send her money to help out. I really didn't know how much they needed it, but I, I just wanted to help, and I knew they needed something. Yeah. And uh, she was actually, she settled in Point Noir, which hadn't gone through the war, but her family was still uh, back in the, in the uh, village where they had become refugees after fleeing a bunch of different places. So, yeah, it was, it's a long, they went through so much, but... How did we get together? That was how, the question. Yeah. The, yeah, that's skipping ahead almost to the end of the book. Yes, skip ahead to the end of <laughs> the right. book so you can explain. All right. So <laughs> she finally sent me a letter sharing with me her feelings again, which an African woman isn't supposed to do, but she realized that Craig was so shy <laughs> that he was never going to do it himself. Well, I had fond feelings for her, but I was not going to, you know, I wasn't going to go beyond what I thought the Lord wanted tonight. I didn't have any explicit directions about anything, so I was just waiting. Meanwhile, you know, three different people had prophesied to her in Congo, including one of them during the uh, during the war. You know, in the forest, these are three different people who didn't know each other. They prophesied to her she's going to marry a white man with a big ministry, so she knows kind of more what she's doing than I do. But um, that's usually I, the way it is with Romans. Women know more what they're doing than we do. Thank you. <laughs> oh man. Oh, that's a sexist. Uh, it's probably true. But anyway, I I uh I was just working harder and harder and figuring, okay, well, I devote myself to the Lord. I've got pain in my heart from being alone, but 
if I if I just keep disciplining myself harder and harder and working harder and harder and doing everything that I can for the Lord, giving him everything for his glory, you know, his fasting a day every week and and uh I think I was just praying an hour a day most days, but um just working nonstop on the Bible and and biblical uh commentaries and stuff. Well finally uh some days I was getting just three hours of sleep. One day in class after three hours of sleep the night before and had spent like 30 hours the past week grading essays and and uh, grading essay midterms and also uh, 40 hours a week writing. So you know, not getting enough sleep. I, I collapsed in the middle of class and I was very dehydrated. And that was partly just because the the heater in the room, there was no way to shut off the, the control on it. It was broken. And anyway, I ended up in the hospital, and I was flat on my back for a while after that. Fortunately, it was about the end of the semester. And uh, that's when that's when Medine's letter came to me. And it was the one time when I actually was in such a condition that I would actually slow down and pray about it rather than just um, thinking, oh, well, that's nice. The Lord will show me if it's his will sometime. Let me get back to work. And and when I prayed about it, um, well, I wrote her back. I said, okay, this time we're not going to decide until we both know until we both hear the same thing from the Lord. And then I went back through my journal, and I collated, uh, I had copies of my letters to her because they were written on a computer. Of course, I had copies of her letters. I arranged them chronologically so that I could read through them. And as I'm reading through them, I got to the middle of the letter that I'd skipped before. I must have, I must have skipped it because I had no recollection of it. And it was like just too important for me. The same things that I felt like my wife would be doing, you know, reaching out to people one-on-one, you know, uh, sharing the gospel with people who were lost. And Medine had been doing that at the time that I'd been feeling that about my future wife. And I was so, I just fell out of my chair. Uh, and so the next, the next email she got from me well, Medin, you can pick it up from there. What did you say in the next email? Oh, I said yes. I, I, I... <laughs> he said yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes, I was very happy. I've got to imagine that God saying to you, Craig, saying, hey, um, go back and read that later this time, okay? Instead of ignoring it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and I was, I was thinking you know, oh, we'd missed it. But it actually, I mean, it was God's timing when we look back on how God had arranged things. Like, and I had a dream right after that where I was uh, back in that time, and I was I, I was thinking, oh, well, I'll just marry Medine now, uh, you know, back in that time before the war. And I went to to my apartment door, and my key didn't work because it was my it was my key for the time that I actually was living in when I had the dream. And I woke up and understood, okay, it wasn't the right time then. 
you weren't ready for each other then, but now you're ready. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And fortunately, also, Medina, your son, David, really took a mm-hmm. lot in the correct, didn't he? What's that? Her son, David, he really took a liking to you, didn't he? Oh, yeah. Yes, he did. (laughs) I mean, he has never known any other father. So, yes, Craig is his daddy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, He, yeah, I would play ball with him. As soon as I got there, I played ball with him. And I started teaching him English right away. Ballon, this is ball. Mm -hmm. And, and, And then I'd throw the ball roll the ball, catch the ball. And we started doing English that way. And as he starts picking up English, I start spelling it. So he's learning how to read. At the same time, he's learning how to speak. Yeah. And he did explain to to Medine, he said, Pop Craig's French isn't very good, but his English is quite good. (laughs) Yeah, I'm seeing here, I'm not sure which is more impressive that he was able to catch on and relate to you so well, so quickly. Or about you, Craig, as a nerd, could actually go out and play ball with a kid. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, pl- playing ball is within my nerd capabilities. Uh, the more, the more difficult thing was, you know, card games and stuff. I can't really do that. But mm. <laughs> what? Uh, okay, uh, that's uh, uh, where we're quite different because I, as a nerd, can play games. Seriously, I, I'm I'm still a gamer to this day and mm-hmm. such. But yeah, I, I mean, I, yeah, I do know it can sounds be hard on a young child to have to get introduced to another man as a father. But it's really a great thing you all never had that problem. Yeah, yeah. He was he was three years old when we met, and yeah, it was good. The Lord was really good. Yeah. <laughs> and Mason had already been telling him in faith that he had a father somewhere else because he'd come home and asked, other kids have fathers. Where's my father? And she said, well, uh, he's in a far off country, but you'll meet him someday. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> that was that was bold faith. Yeah. Now, 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 I wanted us to go through that so much also because I want us to get down to December nitty-gritty about what life's been like for you ever since then. Now, Craig, thankfully you've noticed that people have changed on their stance with, they told you earlier on divorce and such since then, haven't they? Yes. Yeah, there's been a big a big shift since then. The denomination where I was um, unable to become a minister, the denomination that I had been serving in, well, kind of serving in. I'd I'd been to their Bible college and their seminary. At that time, I couldn't be a part of that denomination unless I promised not to remarry. Mm -hmm. And I didn't want to make that promise, even though it was 15 years before I remarried. And by then they actually were changing. But um, but an old friend of mine, it turned out, had become the general secretary of that denomination. And so one time I was in that town, speaking for that seminary, and he asked me to come visit him. And I didn't, I didn't know what his office, what his position was. I just knew that, you know, he worked in the, in the headquarters. And so uh, they sent me up to the general secretary's office, and that's when I found out he was general secretary. But 
you know, he didn't know I'd gone through a divorce and he was fairly new in the position and and we talked and and he said, this is very interesting what you're sharing with me because he thought I was a minister in his denomination. And when I shared what I went through, after he listened, he said, this is very interesting because we've just changed our position on that. And today we just uh, put the first person through who was in circumstances similar to yours and granted their ordination. So uh, for me to be in the office that day was just a really healing experience for me. Even though I, you know, I was already ordained in a different denomination, I was still like friends with that denomination. We were on great terms and it was, yeah, just great to see that they were taking into account that, that there are circumstances that you don't choose. Well, I'd like to remind everyone that you're listening to the Deeper Waters podcast, and everything we do here is done by the support of listeners like you. And friends, we, we really could use your support. And I'd also like to give a special request out there to my listeners here that my wife is going through a very hard time, as it is she's sitting right in here with me because it's so hard on her. But yesterday, her parents, when she was about 12 years old, was it, hon? 12 years old, she's not heard yes. They went and got a dog that they wanted for a while. Where when Ari and I got married, the dog stayed with the parents because it was kind of their dog. We didn't have a place for it and things like that and such. And I'm recording this on February 2nd, and just yesterday, they had to put the dog down. And Ari here is extremely devastated, and her parents are also taking it hard. And they'd appreciate your prayers at this time as mm-hmm. well. Well, this is her first pet she's lost ever been fish. And uh, you don't like, most people don't bond with fish the way they do with dogs. So, yeah. Yeah. so her prayer, your prayers for her are greatly appreciated. And I'd like to let you all know, please go to our website, deeperwatersapologetics.com. There's a link to help support the work of Deeper Waters Christian Ministries, and on the side, are there, you'll find it. But you click on it, and it takes you to the Ministry of Risen Jesus. You've gone to the right place. Those are my in-laws, Mike and Debbie Lacona. Then you make your donation, and you send a message to me, or Allie, or Mike, or Debbie, and say, Hey, I made a donation. I want to go to Nick Peters. I want to go to Deeper Waters. It will be tax deductible, mm-hmm. and it will support us. And friends, we could really use it. I mean, if, if you partake of the harvest here, take some part in going out there and helping us with the planting and such. Give a little bit that you can. If we can get monthly donors, that'd be even better to help make this ministry even more full-time and get into the work we'd like to be doing and such. You can also buy some e-books that I've written, such as The Creative of the Ages, The Apostles Creed and Today's Christian. Um, you can buy ones that I've co-written um, Contextualizing Inerrancy Defining Inerrancy God and Natural Disasters um, Christian Answers of Which Generation's Questions Godless and of course The Mention of Ours Project and here's something else you can do for Medine, do you like jewelry? Um, I am very strange in my family <laughs> I am not a jewelry type of person. If I get something, yes, I wear it. Um, 
the jewelry that I have, those are gifts from my family, mm-hmm. like David. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, okay. I mean, if I get something, yes, I'll wear it. Okay, well, you are very different. Guys, most of them out there, they really do love the jewelry and such. My wife likes it. She's got an alert allergy to nickel, so she can't wear a lot of it, but she likes it. And if you go and you make a purchase for us through Premier Christian Jewelers Fair, wherever you purchase, 25% of that will go support Depot Barters. Okay. So, guys, here's the thing. You got Valentine's Day coming up. Some of you might want to pop the question on Valentine's Day. Sure. I did it on Christmas Eve, but some of you might want to do it on Valentine's Day. Uh-huh. Um, and if you go and you buy some jewelry, 25% goes to Depot Barters. And guys, you know what I've told you before in the past. You can buy something special about a lady in your life to make up that screw-up that you recently did with her. Or you can buy something special about a lady in your life to make up that screw-up that I know you're going to make with her. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, is, is that true, Greg? <laughs> um... Yeah, we we sometimes screw up. Yeah, sometimes. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think it's we sometimes we sometimes do the right thing. We usually screw up. <laughs> as as for popping the question on Christmas Eve or Valentine's Day, just uh, whichever holiday comes comes first. Mm-hmm. And uh, if you can't do any of this, please at least go and share the podcast on iTunes. Why do we do it? I love to see you guys. Now, Craig and Medine, do you have an organization or charity you'd like to see people support? I, well, World Vision. Yeah. Okay. Um, I mean, World Vision is one that I I support. Mm-hmm. I know Compassion International is very good. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, when when Medine was a refugee, uh, well, actually, after the war, when when she was still displaced. Because uh, they, they, they couldn't come in during the war, but Doctors Without Borders and International yes. Red Cross were they, the ones that, yes. that came and helped in her area. Yeah. Okay. So, um, well, I, I encourage you all to support those ministries as well. Now, let's get to some things here. I mean, let's talk about how marriage is where you are today. Greg, something that comes out in your book is that you do struggle so much with insecurity. Yeah. And marriage, I, I think a lot of women don't really realize this when they're alive. Marriage makes a huge difference in that, doesn't it? Yes. It does. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it really it really helps to have somebody you can talk with who mm-hmm. when somebody when somebody uh on the internet says Craig Keener argues for miracles, everybody knows that miracles can't happen. Craig Keener is obviously a fraud, an idiot, uh, <laughs> whatever. I mean, I'm not quoting them precisely, but when people do, um, especially some of the new atheists, not mm-hmm. not regular atheists, but you you know the vitriolic kind of atheists. The Richard Dawkinses of the world. Yeah, uh, and so it's nice to have the stability of. Somebody who really knows you, who really loves you, mm. and you can, yeah, because because I do get, um, I don't know. It's probably why I'm a better writer than speaker because mm. 
when I write, I can digest things. I can I can work through my responses. I can think about uh, the the full orb of issues. When I'm speaking with somebody, a lot of times I'm thinking, you know, well maybe maybe they know something I don't. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times I press further and find out, no, they actually don't. But <laughs> it's yeah, insecurity is something that. Yeah, I deal yeah. with it. Yeah, I've gone through a, a few debates and such, and some of them have been put up on YouTube. And I, I have probably advice, I think even William Lane Craig follows this one never read the comments, ever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I can say that sometimes shortly after we got married, we got married in July, and there was an apologetics conference in Charlotte at November, and we went to a talk a friend of mine was giving, a nice lady, she was giving it on men and women and the differences between them and as i was talk listening to a talk something clicked with me in the middle of a talk and i and i went up there afterwards and i was talking about i said that nora that was her name said you know something came to me while we you were talking and that's that before ali was my wife and such i used to struggle so much with fear about my capabilities and such because for me my main identity at that time was christian apologist and if someone could embarrass me or show me i didn't know what i was talking about and such or if i thought they could i was scared silly because it mm. seemed like my whole identity was on the line but mm. then I thought, but you know now that i've got Allie in my life there is a huge validation there because mm-hmm. no matter what goes on, at the end of the day, I am Audi's man. Yes. And that is all that matters yeah. to me. Now, of course, I don't want to make mistakes and such, but I'm much less frightened about it. And in fact, it causes my confidence in my work to be so much better because I have her in my life. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Medine, how is it? For you as a woman, exactly, what changes do you have in your life now being married to Craig? Wow. When I was in Congo and when I was divorced, people thought that I was the bad woman. Mm. It was like, what's wrong with you? What did you do wrong? So to be married with Craig and uh, to be loved by Craig is a blessing into my into my life it brings stability and you know when i'm afraid or i have nightmares but how do you call it post-traumatic stress yes i know that when i wake up craig is there and it's just a dream uh to have someone you walk with uh this road on on this earth Mm. it's a blessing yeah so thank god let me say something about here my wife actually also has ptsd from Hmm. severe bullying she went through going up and such. And when you said nightmares, it related to me so well, because I Hmm. remember one night I woke up, I don't remember what it was, but she was absolutely terrified. Mm -hmm. She had a nightmare. And I was there in bed next to her, and I had to hold on to her for about an hour or so to get her calmed down. And, you know, you'd think, uh, I, I, I sadly think there are a lot of husbands out there who would get upset about that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But 
No, if, if you see my Facebook page, except for Sundays when I don't post every day of a week, I post a love message to my wife up there. Wow. And That's sweet. That very day, I went on and I talked about not what a burden it was because it wasn't. It was an honor for me uh-huh. because for me, it means so much that when she's in need, she can come to me and I can I can actually be the hero. In her life. And I, I'm sure you're probably sitting up there nodding right next to that, aren't you, Craig? Uh, well, I I like I like to be to be her man. Uh, <laughs> hero, I don't know if I'm really her hero. She's been through so much. Oh yes. I mean you know the Bible so much. <laughs> I just have to come and talk to you. To have every all the answers that mm-hmm. I need. So yes. Yeah, 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 Medina, I was pretty sure when Craig said, I don't know if I'm her hero or not, you were probably saying, What are you crazy? Of course you are. <laughs> it is. <laughs> now, let, let me ask you how something else about how this too works for you too, because we do live in a society that, you know, we're far less judgmental. Sometimes I can be a good thing, not a bad thing. What's it like for you all being an interracial couple? Is this ever an issue? or Not for us. Okay. I don't, I don't, yeah, I don't see the color. Yes. Yeah, in terms just, of standings, yes. They're, they're, between the two of us, we have cultural misunderstandings. Mm-hmm. Not so mm-hmm. much racial. I mean, I already, I already was attracted to dark complexion anyway, right? So, uh, and she liked blue eyes. But <laughs> Um, but in terms of in terms of the cultures, yes. Like one example we always give, it's the one that always comes to our mind because <clears throat> it was a big one right at the beginning. Was I would say, "Jetem, I love you," and I, I thought she was going to say, "Jetem uh, aussi, moi aussi, I love you too," but instead she would say, "Merci, thank you." Mm-hmm. And you know, and so I, I walk it's, away. It's a nice response. <laughs> <laughs> I walked away thinking my wife doesn't love me, <laughs> but it was a cultural difference in terms of how you respond to "I love you." Yeah. And how did we find out about them? <laughs> Another intercultural couple. Uh, they were both white, but uh, he was South African and she was from the U.S. And they went through the same thing because in his culture. It was thank you. Mm-hmm. And, you know, in the U.S. culture, you say, I love you, too. And so that they explained to us the yeah. dynamics because they'd been through it already. Yeah. Yeah. Greg, something that I know about you is you churn out so many books. I wouldn't be surprised if you wrote a book while you were doing this podcast here. Such. No, I'm not. I'm not. <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised if you did. <laughs> Actually, this is my Sabbath, so I'm not. I'm not doing. I'm just you're talking with you and, and Nadine. Yeah. So, and, what, what I'm wondering is, how do you do all this academic work? You know, producing all these commentaries and such, and yet you still find time for family because you know I think there are a lot of academics that lose sight of that. Well, it's a pri- actually. That was one of the things before before we got married. I was just like, well, I may as well work. I, I don't have anybody else to uh, to talk with. <laughs> so I just kept working and working and uh, had no no boundaries. I mean, I took a Sabbath every week, but when you're doing 
15 hour days other weeks it still doesn't always come out to be enough but um but now there are more boundaries medina and i spend time praying together we eat together when we're both home um and and we get to talk around those times and we talk around other times too so i i still probably work maybe 60 hours a week but um but it's but I mean, sixty hours a week out of how many how many hours in a week? Um, there's still there's still time. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Uh, um, and do you all have any kids together on your own, or is it just David? We have David, and uh, we have Karen. We adopted Karen. So we have two children. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we we tried, we tried, we had miscarriages, but yeah. Uh, I'm very sorry to hear about the whole miscarriage no. thing. We're so. old. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but but hey, Abraham and Sarah were old, so hey. Yeah. yeah. So um. From each of you, what do you think it really takes, Ben, to make a good marriage? Listening. Yeah. Spending time together. Yeah. Un unconditional commitment. Yeah. So, you know, when you do, you do have disagreements. And sometimes, I mean, the disagreements aren't always even arguments. Sometimes mm -hmm. they're just, you hold different views, and sometimes you have to agree to disagree. Yeah. I mean, Paul and, and Barnabas, uh, who weren't married, but they had, um, I mean, each of them had a good point there in Acts 15 when they had their falling out. Mm -hmm. But if you're married, you can't have a permanent falling out like that. You, I mean, if you're married in the Lord, you're committed to stick with it and make it work. Mm -hmm. You may have to, to disagree on something. Or you, you learn to, um, to compromise, or you know, often, often you end up seeing that the other person has a good point, and you can learn from each other. You know, when you said about that point, sometimes you see the other person has a good point. There have been times that Ari and I have had some disagreements and such, and you know, I'm Mister Logic. I've ruminated <laughs> it over and over in my head so much about the whole situation, but. This is it. She's in the Roman Tower, and this one, I know it. I can go and present this, and I'll go, and I'll tell her exactly what I'm thinking about this, and she'll say, yeah, but what about X, Y, Z, and such? And I'll, <laughs> and I'll just immediately go, hadn't, hadn't thought of that one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Dang it. <laughs> you know, it, it. It kind of reminds me that when I, sometime after we got married, that I was working with Walmart, this girl, came up to me who worked there and she said, you know, Nick, you seem to be such a spiritual sort of man, such seem very wise. I'm having a hard time with forgiving someone. How do you learn forgiveness? And I said, get married. You spend most of your time, <laughs> you spend a lot of your time either giving it or receiving it, and I've spent a lot more time receiving it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But, I mean, you, you all do have disagreements, and I, I dare say sometimes there are arguments because, you know, it really does take a lot of hard work to have a good marriage, doesn't it? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. You 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 see in uh, I think it's Genesis thirty, 
Jacob and Rachel blow up at each other. Uh, you see Abraham and Sarah earlier in in Genesis. Uh, then you see the dysfunctionality of Isaac and Rebecca, where she doesn't she doesn't uh, disagree with him openly. She goes around behind his back because that's the only way she'll get stuff done. But she gets it done. So, yeah, marriages can be can be interesting. And I was I was happy to to notice in the Bible that we're not the first people to ever go through <laughs> needing yes. to work things out. Yes. Yeah, Howie yeah, and I still have to work things out sometimes. We we did find someone at a church, actually, who did agree to give us free marital counseling for any issues we have, and we've been doing that from time to time, but I, I think it's just invaluable. Even if you don't have counseling, go and talk to other couples from time to time. And learn from their experiences what to do and what not to do. Yeah. Yeah, we we also had a class uh, when I was teaching at Palmer Seminary before I came to Asbury. Uh, we had a class there. Well, norm, normally, I always had to teach on the nights that... There was this marriage enrichment class that was taught by a couple of my colleagues, but this one time, I, this one semester, nobody signed up for this one class, which was, I mean, usually we had a good number of people. So I had that night free, and I said, okay, well, this this must be the Lord's doing. So yeah. uh, she and I were able to, to uh, take this marriage enrichment class taught by our counseling colleagues, and it was really good it for us. It was good, yes. Because, mm-hmm. you know, there's always things you can learn on to improve a marriage and such. Mm-hmm. And, and one thing I, I also think is, is so important is that so many um, people today have lost sight of the whole idea of a covenant. I mean, this is why you see people living together yeah. before they get married and mm-hmm. such. And I don't know how... Allie and I are part of sober recovery. I don't know how many times I've met guys who are damaging their marriages and may know it because they're struggling with pornography, Yeah, for instance. Uh, yeah. I, mean, I mean, what are your thoughts on this kind of thing? Well, I, you know, because I was over 40 when, when Medina and I got married, I had sympathy for the people who, who fell because I knew it was just God's grace that kept me from falling. But yeah. But at the same time, it's true. We need to, you're not going to have a healthy marriage unless it's based on commitment. It has to be unconditional commitment so that mm-hmm. you you forgive each other uh, when it gets rough. And in that unconditional commitment, you can be transparent, you can share your feelings and the other person isn't supposed to cut and run. You 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 mm-hmm. stay in there together and you make it work. The pornography thing, I think, can really mess up people's sex lives. And what? we mm-hmm. don't have as much direct experience. I mean, we we've never done that. But I also, yeah. Well, before I was a Christian, I I sinned a lot in my head. I didn't use physical pornography. I didn't need physical pornography. <laughs> But um, it's, and it's we didn't have access to like computers and you know the internet yeah. didn't exist back then. Yeah, so, so I think it's harder for some people today. But yeah, I mean temptation is still there, and yeah, 
we sinned like everyone else, but it, it, it had a different form. Yeah. yeah. But, yeah, it is It is very harmful to marriages. It is. Because yeah. you, you, instead of defining beauty, instead of defining what you're looking for in terms of the person that you have and being grateful for that, yeah. you you subject them to an artificial standard. And I'm sure there's a bunch of other other things too mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that hurts the marriage, but you're objectifying somebody. It's, it's, it's bad. Yeah. Yeah. I've, uh, I was your day. I've, you know, Ali and I together, I can tell that, you know, I think she's just so beautiful and she's so fantastic and such. And it's just, you're, I'm the only one you've ever been with and such. And I say, yeah. So what? I mean, to me, that just means you're wonderful already. I don't have anyone I can compare you with at all. And that's Mm -hmm. such a blessing. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. Mm -hmm. So, so you're able to appreciate the beauty that's there and not like, see, no, if I wanted a woman who, who was both white and black, who had stripes, (laughs) see, no, that's, that's so you wanted to marry a zebra. No, exactly. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm so happy with Medine. She's mm. lovely. But and pornography is also bad. I think it subsidizes the sex trade. Mm-hmm. It's, it does. It's, so, I mean, there's all sorts of bad things that are mm-hmm. evil. It feeds on evil. Medine, mm-hmm. what? I mean, I'd like to ask for you because it could apply to several women. What is it that? really makes you feel loved by Craig? Oh, my. Mm. The way Craig looks at me, uh, the way he speaks to me, how he cares for the different needs that I have, even if it's just trivial. Uh, (laughs) He listens to me, and the way he prays for me, Mm -hmm. um, he, I don't know what's the word, but it's like he knows what I'm feeling. Mm-hmm. And when I'm in his embrace, I know I'm loved and safe. So I don't know how to put it, but yeah. <laughs> and Craig, likewise to you. When she expresses her love and mm-hmm. she, um, it took us a while to learn each other's love languages, yes, but yeah. um, mm-hmm. you know, she, she, um, prepare these wonderful meals and when she smiles at me and laughs with me and mm-hmm. prays for me mm-hmm. oh boy when she started praying for me things started really happening <laughs> <laughs> she prays with faith mm-hmm. well she's had to live it out a lot in the Congo yeah <laughs> you know I um, seeing her just Something that I keep thinking when I talk to women about marriages and such, say, here's something I just wish you could realize. You got a good husband. He already thinks you're beautiful. He already loves you so much. He just really wants you to embrace that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Now, Greg, have you uh, ever forgotten Valentine's Day or an anniversary or her birthday or anything like that? Oh, yes. No. No. I haven't. <laughs> <laughs> Did I forget 
your birthday once? Oh no, your birthday is always in Ohio, so we don't forget. No, uh, no. I, I, but I do like to tell the joke about the absent-minded professor yes. who who never forgets his wife's anniversary, even though he sometimes forgets his own. <laughs> I've made it a point to never forget her birthday or anniversary, either. There was a time back where you had a few years ago where uh, she. Facebook will remind you. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I I don't need Facebook to remind me. I do good enough on my own. Exactly. She, uh, we've struggled with money ever since we got married. And. Mm She wanted to have a birthday party and such. Even if her friends said, honey, we can't afford things this year. I'm sorry, we just can't. But remember that that girl at the church said she wants to meet you at the church office and she wants to take you out shopping. So, you know, you'll get to do that at least. And she spent the day pretty much pouting, as it were, feeling miserable. It was her birthday and she wasn't getting to celebrate. That evening, I take her to a mall where the church office is because the church met at a mall. And we walk in the door there of the office, and there up there are so many of her friends and such from the church oh, waiting so for her because I have been planning a surprise party for her. <laughs> and, and, and in fact, I did it again the next year at a different place and such. And so she's there. I am never ever again going to say anything about him not doing anything for my birthday because, honey. You are the only person in the church who did not know that this event was going on. <laughs> Everyone else knew about it. <laughs> now, what would you, uh, let's go with you first, Craig. What would you say to the people out there that are you know, newlyweds and such and getting ready to embark on this journey? What do? What is it that you know now that you wish you'd known then? Uh, well, our our circumstances were kind of unusual, so please do not try to duplicate our circumstances. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously, a it can be very expensive to be commuting intercontinentally mm-hmm. while you're <laughs> seeing your future spouse and so on. But one big thing is that you need to leave yourself space to to grow, to understand each other. I think it was maybe more in our case because of the cultural differences and the linguistic differences. And, um, yeah, just get to learn each other's background uh, as much as you can and learn to appreciate the other person's strengths and uh, learn from one another's perspectives and you'll often see how God is has has brought complementary strengths to each of you to to serve Him together in your marriage. Medine, mm-hmm. what would you say? Same question. Um, while I was thinking, the image that came to mind is two people walking, um, and sometimes we don't have the same pace, so. You might have someone who's working too fast. The other person is working too slow. So you have to adjust. It's almost like what Craig was saying. So learn to know your uh, your spouse and uh, learn to take the time 
either to slow down or to catch up a little bit so that you can be at the same pace. Another thing that um, actually that came from my father, which is such a blessing, say, he used to say, don't go to sleep angry at each other. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So uh, take the time to pray and, you know, put all these uh, feelings of anger aside and then uh, go to bed. I remember a day when I was, I mean, we prayed. We were, I said, yes, I'm sorry, but I couldn't sleep. And the Lord was like, Medini, you really are angry. You need to go and talk it over again. <laughs> and so I couldn't have peace until, you know, we talked and then again, oh, the anger left and then I can go to bed. So, yeah. You know, I, I think that's also something important to learn because so many couples out there, I think, you know, when you get married and such, especially for you are, since you've been waiting so long for each other and such, and such a happy day, and you think it's going to be paradise from now on and such. <laughs> it it is not paradise from now on. Yeah, yeah. I, somebody, somebody. It may have been Stanley Howard was said, "You don't, you don't marry the right person. You marry a person, and you become the right person." Mm. <laughs> That's beautiful. I, I I know someone who told me the whole thing is uh is that uh, um, dating is about finding the right person. Marriage is about being the right yeah. person. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of the big things I've learned is, you know, hoping about sacrifice, giving of yourself. I mean, like I said, we don't have a lot of money, so sometimes I get Amazon credit through special online programs and such, and I'll be saving it up. I'll, I'll see something I want to buy, maybe some game or something like that, and I'll have a <laughs> recommend and say, you know, I really wish I could have such and such. Now she's gone. Click purchase. Okay, I'll get what I want later on. I can wait. <laughs> but I mean, it to me, you know, doing all that is what I mean. Like I said, I've got I've got two gifts for her here this year that I've ordered, and I think she's going to be extremely happy. Definitely so with one of them. Ah, uh, wonderful. Yeah, I mean, the <laughs> She she's learned something every time she says when I, and I'm on public I have to be very careful about saying I want something because my husband hears it and he will remember everything that I say <laughs> but I want and he'll probably try to do everything he can. She was we went to Walmart <laughs> once and she saw a Pokemon plushie she wanted and I said, Honey, I don't have the money here to get that which was true. But I had it on Amazon, went home and ordered her all nine of them in the set immediately, so <laughs> Uh, hi, hi Ali. Yeah, she she stepped away oh, now, okay. but so it's worth it for you two, isn't it? Yes, it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I tell people, you know, I used to be pro marriage until I got married. Then after I got married, I've seen how incredibly wonderful it is. Now I'm pro pro marriage. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I mean, it it really there is nothing like it. I mean, I, I think so many of me and my guy friends who are still single and such. If they want to get married, I think guys, if you knew what you were waiting for, what marriage is really like, you probably want to get married all the sooner. I think if I knew, I probably <laughs> want to get married all the sooner. But then it's probably a good thing I didn't because I wouldn't be married to Allie then. So yeah, yeah, that's yeah. I'm glad I waited for for Medine, but oh, it was hard, but. Yeah. yeah, marriage is wonderful. Well, I'd like to thank you all for coming on here. I'd like to let everyone know the book is Impossible Love. Right now, as of time of recording, the paperback version is 1158. The Kindle version 
is $9.99. Now, do you all have a blog, a website, an email where people can get in touch if they want to find out more? Um, I have a website, craigkeener.com, mm -hmm. and uh, there are actually some free resources on there if you go to the free resources tab at the, at the top of it, but it's, it's all one word, Craig Keener, C-R-A-I-G-K-E-E-N-E-R. Uh, dot com and there there are uh, some resources there and the sidebar you can find a bunch of bible studies videos uh, even silly cartoons mm -hmm. most most of them seminary related silly cartoons yeah you actually do some cartooning don't you yeah okay. uh, Madine, do you have any website or anything like that no, I don't. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm fine. <laughs> I, I'm sure Craig agrees. <laughs> yes, he does. She, she's, can, wel she's welcome to come on mine. They can mm -hmm. go to Craig's uh, mm -hmm. website. Yes. No, no it, it, it's kind of a joke whenever we're on public, and I think she might have been rude to someone or someone said, oh, no, no. They said, oh, no, no, you're fine. I said, yes, I agree. She's fine. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, yeah. no, no. I, I'm, I'm actually the same way. I get I get embarrassed. I said something inappropriate, and mm. so I ask Medine afterwards. Mm. So, um, you all have any final thoughts you'd like to leave for a Deeper Waters audience? Following Jesus is an adventure. Mm. Jesus is worth everything. I mean, marriage is wonderful, but be, before I knew Christ. And after New Christ, the difference then, I wouldn't trade that for anything. Life was meaningless. Life was worthless to me before I knew Christ. And and I, I didn't have anything to compare it with. But, you know, with Jesus, it's an adventure. You don't know always what's coming next. There are, there are sufferings along the way. But Jesus is worth everything. Nadine, anything you want to add to that? Well, um, yeah, I agree with Craig. Without God in my life, I don't know what I would have become. And it's such a blessing to walk the walk together, having God in the middle, um, just letting him guide us in everything that we do. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I'd like to thank you all for coming on today, and I hope we'll see you back here again sometime. Thank you for having you. us. Yeah. yeah. And I can mind everyone next week. I'm still working on that, but I'm going to do my best to get you a good show. But for now, I'm Nick Peters, and I'm signing off. <laughs>